This is the third part in a series that we've been calling Be the Church. And the question that we have asked is, are we the church or do we just attend church? And that is actually a big question. It's an important question because especially right now where there's so much disruption in our world and also just in the way that we do church, it's very important that we go back and we find out what is church? Who are we as the church? Because honestly, I don't believe that any one of us wants to do something like church out of just tradition or that that's just what I'm supposed to do. See, there's something on the inside of me and inside of you that wants to make a difference with our life. If we're going to be a part of something like this, we want to make sure that this thing that we're a part of, this thing that we're supposed to be, that it actually makes a difference in the world that we're in that we actually want to be used by God to make disciples, to help other people grow and to live powerful Christian lives. And so during this series, we are simply looking at what is it that we're supposed to be? And if we're supposed to be that, how do we be that in the 21st century? And really the big question is, is this disruption of our life, this shaking that's going on right now, are we allowing it to mold and shape us and to cause us to be more dependent on him and more focused on why we actually exist, which is to make disciples? So we know that the church started as a movement. It was a handful of people that believed that Jesus actually rose from the dead, and they began to proclaim that Jesus is the risen Son of God, and that He had been raised from the dead, and Luke tells us in Acts that the church got started that day, that first day, the opening day of the church, 3,000 people embraced that message and became Uh, became followers, got baptized. And then after that, 5,000 men embraced this message as well. And that was over 10% of the population of Jerusalem. And suddenly it's a movement. It's got nothing to do with buildings that we come to or hierarchies. It has everything to do with this amazing message that Jesus was crucified and then he rose from the dead, and nobody is even trying to produce a body at that point because there were so many, there were 400 eyewitnesses that saw him alive after he was crucified. And then Peter and John, the number one, number two guy, they spent the night in jail. They were confronted by the authorities and they, who said, quit talking about the resurrection and quit talking about this name. They didn't like the name. So they, then they got out of jail and they went back to their believers. And what we talked about last week was they prayed the first recorded prayer that we have. And here's what they prayed. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And then they went on from there and they said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through your holy servant, Jesus. And then... They go back out into the streets and they begin to preach, knowing that they're going to get themselves in trouble, but they could not shut up about his name. And more and more people begin to embrace this message and word gets outside of Jerusalem that something is going on and dozens and hundreds of people from the outside communities begin to flock into Jerusalem and they bring their sick and the people who are lame and the blind. And they bring him into the city because they have heard rumors that there's a group of people that can lay their hands on the sick and they would be healed. 
And so the religious leaders became jealous because the people loved them, the Christians loved them, there were miracles going on. And so they arrested Peter and John, and then after that, they let them out. But then they go and they arrest all of the apostles. And then they're going to leave them in jail all night. But during the night, Luke tells us that, so they're in jail, and then somebody or something comes in and opens the doors, and all the apostles walk out. And then the next morning, the religious leaders and the lawyers in particular, they, when they go to get them, they're not there. And the next thing that they hear is that the apostles are back in the temple area preaching the name of Jesus and the resurrection again. So they are furious and they get the temple guard together and they say, go rearrest these guys. So the temple guard goes to get them and there are so many people gathered around. It, you know, it's Peter, Andrew, James, John, all the apostles and everybody around them. And there's so many people that the temple guard is afraid. In fact, they, they say that, you know, we're afraid that if you arrest them, the crowd is going to stone us. And one of them apparently went to Peter because he was kind of the ringleader of this whole thing. And, and they said, hey, we're here to arrest you, but can you please arrest yourself? Because we're kind of afraid to arrest you. We don't want to get stoned by the people. So Peter and the disciples, as a group, they accompanied the temple guard to go back to the Sanhedrin, and they placed themselves under arrest in order to give an account to, for what it is that they're doing. Now, that's where the story picks up, right here in Acts chapter 5. It says that the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin were the lawyers, the legal part of the whole first century temple situation. And it says to be questioned by the high priest. Now, the he is like the guy. His word is law in this environment. All right. And so this is what they said. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And you know what? This is so interesting because they don't even want to say the name. They don't want to say the name Jesus. And isn't it interesting, even 2,000 years later, that the name of Jesus is disruptive? Isn't it interesting at work or at school or maybe with some of your family members, you can talk about religion, you can talk about God, but when you say Jesus, it has a different feel to it. And if you're not a Christian, this is something to pay attention to. Why is it that the name of Jesus is not the same as God or religion or belief? It's that name. And so even 2,000 years ago, they don't even want to say the name. They said, you've got to quit speaking the name. And that you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And, and, we, and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So Peter and the other apostles, they replied, look, we got to obey God rather than man. And so this Pharisee, who was a pretty famous guy, he stands up and he orders that all of the apostles be put outside. So they take them out, and then Gamaliel was this guy's name. He talks to the Sanhedrin, and he reminds them about a couple of guys before Jesus that had risen up and, and led rebellions and revolts. They stirred up groups of people and had hundreds of followers, and then the Romans came along and just squashed it and went on. And the implication is that, look, guys, let's not get our hands bloody. Let's just wait, because Rome is not going to let this happen. They will solve our problems for us. And so he said, as far as these Christians, he says, let's leave these men alone. Let's let them go. And then here is his reasoning. He said, for if their purpose or their activity is of human origin, it will fail. 
And the, and the implication here is that, look, if this is just another movement and just some people with another radical idea, it's going to fail anyway because Rome won't let it succeed. But if, if, if they're running, these people running around talking about Jesus and preaching in his name, if that's from God, then you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Now, here's what he was saying, is that the only thing that can overcome the power and the control of Rome during this region at this time was God. That if there's going to be a breakthrough movement, if there's going to be a change, if there's going to be a momentum that rolls out of this part of the world, it would take an act of God to do it. And Gamaliel was exactly right because the only thing that could strong arm Rome and create momentum bigger than Rome would be an act of God. So they liked his reasoning and he persuaded them and they called the apostles in and they had them flogged, it says. And, you know, flogged, it didn't really mean much to most of us until we saw Passion of the Christ, did it? I mean, we'd say, oh yeah, they were whipped or yeah, they were beaten. But flogged in some cases was so bad it was a death sentence. It was that horrific. It was a cat of nine tail with pieces of wood and steel and sometimes pieces of what they would consider glass tied into the end of the strip. And for literally several hours, the apostles stood in line and watched as the temple, gu- the temple guard flogged, permanently scarring the bodies of their closest friends for, just for talking about something that they had seen. And every time that they changed shirts, every time they would swim, every time they would bathe, there would be a visual reminder of this day. And so how would you respond if something like that happened? So the temptation is to read this verse and then we just want to move on to the next verse. But this verse, it was hours, it was half the day listening to your closest friends scream out in pain and know that you're next because of something that you said you believed. And more importantly, something you said that you saw. See, if that was most of us, the thought of this, it would just be the end. I mean, Christianity would have never moved beyond the first century if that was most of us. But listen to their response. It says, and they ordered them again to not speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And watch this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. I mean, hold up. You are permanently disfigured for the rest of your life. People will see those scars and they'll know to some extent that you are a criminal. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. And here we live in the safest country, the safest neighborhoods, the safest communities in the world. And we're afraid somebody's not going to like us. Or that we won't get into a particular club or fraternity or they won't want to be our tennis partner anymore or we won't be a part of the foursome anymore. I mean, let me, let me tell you what happened to us. We are so extraordinarily blessed in this country. And instead of being fa- grateful and good steward of the freedoms that we have, we have allowed it to strip us of our boldness. Listen, you should never feel guilty for being blessed, but you should feel responsible. 
we are responsible for the blessings that have been given us. And listen, I'm not an exception either. This is so convicting to me. I mean, when I listen to my own prayers, I just think, God, I want to pray about something serious. I mean, so day after day in the temple courts and in house to house, listen, this is after they've been flogged and maybe after they healed up and somebody had tended to their wounds, day after day in the temple courts. And it's not like they went to a different city. They went back to the temple. And day after day from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news to people that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, what do you do with that? How do you respond to that? And so the question is that I have for us, what happened to Christianity? See, this was normal for them. This is how it started. And for us to fall short of that is actually to betray the people that gave their lives so that we could not just gather in a building, but that we could have this message and have new life. I mean, think about it. Aren't you grateful that somebody was bold with you? I mean, they kept giving you those messages and those audios and continued to invite you and invite you. And then they cheated and they invited your kids. And and now your kids want to come back and your fishing day is ruined. But now you're here and you're glad and you have peace. You know, some of the reasons maybe why we're not bold is that we've been Christians so long, we forgot what it was like to be far from God. Some of us, all we've known is Christianity. We've never not had peace with God. And then some of us, just to be honest, we're too busy. We are too distracted with other things to focus on the Great Commission. And that's got to change. But listen, it can change. And it's simple. And it should be normal. You see, someday somebody should thank you. Reach across the table, knock on your door, take you to lunch, and just say, look, look, I know that it was awkward. And maybe I was a jerk early on. But thank you for being bold. And then in the middle of everything that's going on right now, look, look, I'm going to help you with, with something real quick. What's going on right now is an amazing, perfect platform for the gospel, that there's love and forgiveness and stability and healing, not only in the life to come, but in this life as well. And there are people out there that are waiting for me and for you to be bold. See, in Matthew 9, 36, It says that Jesus saw the crowds that were following him and it says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm telling you, right now, people are harassed and helpless. They are sheep without a shepherd. A lot of them are far from God and they're scared. And we have this amazing opportunity, if we focus right now, to have an amazing revival of sheep coming to the good shepherd. And I pray that we are not distracted with everything going on politically or or racially from what God wants to do right now. Listen, there are a lot of important things out there right now that we should be concerned about. Yeah, there's racism going on and there's political things that could have consequences for us for years. But with all the questions that we're asking about everything that's going on in our world today, there's one question. It's more important than any of all those things that are incredibly important. You see, within this window that we have, we have people who are looking for hope and stability in in a world of chaos like never before. And I'm and you are his hands, his mouthpiece. So my question is, do we have, as the church, do we have our sights set on?
And do we have our ears open to the opportunity to share the peace that we have with them? Or are we distracted by everything that's going on, the shaking? See, early on, the disciples, they seemed to ignore the, the persecution and the hardship, and they focused boldly, specifically, on the message of hope of a risen Savior to a lost people. And so let's not get distracted and ignore the real reason why we are here on this planet, that we were called with a purpose, and that is sharing the life and the hope of God with other people. Listen, the harvest is riper than it's ever been in decades and maybe millennia, and we cannot squander this harvest. And here's my prayer. And I pray the same thing that Jesus prayed. That next verse in, 30, in Matthew, in verse 37, it says he turned to his disciples and he said to them this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask for the Lord, the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest field. Because he had just said, it's, it's white. The people are ready. They're harassed and helpless. They like sheep without a shepherd. And there he was, their shepherd. So for those of us that are Christians, it's time to be the church. It's time to share your faith. And I pray that God would send us as workers into his harvest fields, that he would open up opportunities for me and for you to share our faith with those that are around us that are concerned and worried, that are lonely, that are anxious, that are jobless, that are angry, that there is one who cares for them more than anybody else. And he died for their sins and rose again to offer them a trade, his life for their life. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that today you would convict each and every one of us, God. God, we don't wanna just go to church. We want to be the church. And that means that we step out in boldness, that we open our eyes to the harvest that is white, and that we allow you to use us in people's lives. And that we're not distracted by all the other things, all the shiny things that are going on right now to draw out our attention. But God, we, our first priority is to share your love with those that you have placed in our life. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the opportunities that you already placed in our lives and may we be the church. In Jesus' name, amen.